Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. everyone and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And as I'm recording this episode, it's middle of April and things seem to be opening up more. Life seems to maybe be returning more and more to normal for the first time in over a year now. And as life is returning to normal, a lot's probably changed for a lot of people in last year, whether it's jobs, whether it's health, whether it's income, whether it's living situation, there's been a lot of upheaval. There's been a lot of change for a lot of people. So sometimes when that happens, it's good to have what you might call a tune-up of reviewing your finances, everything from investments to taxes to insurance to making sure the right estate planning provisions are in place. And I thought this would be a good time to do that. As things are opening up, as life is returning more and more to normal, let's take a look at our finances and let's make sure that we're doing everything that we need to do. Let's make sure that in a year full of change, we need to make sure that our investments and our finances are accurately reflecting that. So we're going to do a little mini series, and it's just going to be a financial tune-up mini series where we look at taxes. How can we review our 2020 tax return to make sure that we're doing everything we can going forward to ensure we're keeping taxes as low as possible or doing all the right things there? Future episodes, we'll talk about investments. We'll talk about insurance. We'll talk about just basic estate provisions. But today, the topic for today's episode is all about how to review your 2020 tax return. Now, tax filing deadline for this year got pushed to May 17th. Ordinarily, of course, it's April 15th. So you may have your taxes already complete or they may be in the process of being completed as we speak. But today's episode is going to be a whole bunch of just little practical things you can look at as you review your tax return. On many episodes, we take a look at one topic and go very in-depth. Today's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be looking at all the different things you could potentially be looking at to see if there's anything that applies to you. And as you're listening, I'm going to actually have a cheat sheet. I'm going to have a resource on the Ready for Retirement webpage. So if you go to readyforretirement.co, on the show notes for today's episode, there will be a downloadable that tracks all these different things. It'll give you a checklist. So as we're going through this, you can follow along on the checklist. Or after you listen, you can go back and reference that to make sure that you didn't miss anything. So let's jump in. As you're reviewing your 2020 tax return... We just want to make sure that you filed correctly, or at least that you have an awareness of how you filed. Here's what I mean by this. The first question is, did you take the standard deduction or did you itemize your deductions? If you took the standard deduction, which for 2020, the standard deduction for a single filer was 12,400. The standard deduction for a married filer, married filing jointly, was 24,800. If you did, and if you made any cash contributions to qualifying charities, you can actually deduct up to $300 and write that off in your tax return, even if you did not itemize your deductions. So ordinarily, if you're going to do charitable contributions, those don't actually get you any write-off unless you're itemizing your deductions. But last year, you, you could deduct up to $300 of cash contributions to certain qualified charities. And the way you would check this is you would look at your tax form 1040 and on line 10B, any charitable deductions you made would be there. So even if you didn't make enough charitable contributions to itemize, you could still deduct up to 300 and that would be a place to find that. Review line 10B of your tax return to see if that was the case. Now in the future, and we've talked about this on past episodes, but instead of gifting a specific amount each year, if you're going to keep making the standard deduction or keep using the standard deduction, 
Sometimes it makes sense to bunch charitable contributions so that maybe every other year or every third year, you can push your deductions over the itemized threshold, allowing you to take larger deductions in those years and then taking the standard deduction in the offsetting years or the other years. This can apply to charitable contributions. It can apply to medical expenses, even sometimes property taxes, and to see how many times or how much can you bunch those so that you can look to itemize deductions all in one year by taking those deductions all at once, as opposed to spreading them out and staying underneath the standard deduction threshold each year. Now, the next thing to look at is if you are married, and this, this won't apply to everyone, but if you're married and you need to protect yourself against liability issues, or if you're married and you have a large disparity between each spouse's income, or if one of the spouses have large itemized deductions, you may want to consider preparing your taxes, both married filing jointly and married filing separately. What you can do is you can compare the net tax liabilities of both scenarios. Most cases, married filing jointly is going to make most people better off. There's higher thresholds for when tax brackets start. There's, there's more benefits. But in certain situations, married filing separately may actually generate a small tax liability. We won't dive into all the details of this, but just know that as you're preparing your tax return, it is possible to prepare it as both, both married filing jointly and married filing separately, and then just see which one is going to have the lowest net tax liability. Another thing to check is, are you recently divorced or has your spouse passed away recently? If so, review your filing status located at the top of Form 1040. If you're divorced and the divorce is finalized before the end of the year, then you cannot file married filing jointly. It's either head of household or single. Now, if your spouse passes away any point during the year, you can still file taxes married filing jointly in the year that your spouse passed away. So if they say passed away in April and you're filing your taxes and the tax year, of course, ends in December, you can still file married filing jointly even if your spouse is not living by the end of the year. So keep that in mind as you're filing taxes if you are recently divorced or if your spouse has recently passed away. Now, if you are divorced, if you entered into a divorce agreement after January 1st of 2019, then alimony is not deductible by the payer or taxable to the recipient. So if you were divorced or if your divorce agreement was done after January 1st of 2019, if you are paying alimony, you can no longer deduct that. And if you're receiving alimony, it's no longer taxable to you. This is actually a huge tax planning opportunity for people that are receiving alimony. It doesn't matter if that's 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 or more, that alimony that people are receiving, if they were divorced after January 1st of 2019, it's not taxable. So there's actually been a few different people we've had tremendous tax planning opportunity for where they were receiving significant amounts of alimony that covered all their living expenses and they had pretty significant balances in their traditional IRAs or 401ks. What we were able to do is actually begin converting money from their IRA to their Roth IRA, because even though they had enough income to live on a more, their taxable income was zero. So those were great years to look at Roth conversions because they could slide money into their Roth IRAs from their traditional IRA, as opposed to letting it continue to grow in a fully taxable account. Now, Next thing to look at is, were you eligible for economic impact payments in 2020, but did not receive the full amount? If so, it's okay. You didn't miss the boat there. You still can still claim the recovery rebate credit and the place on the tax return where this would happen is on form 1040 line 30. 
So that's where you would claim any economic impact payment that was not yet fully received, or at least not yet fully received in the full amount. So make sure that that was complete on your 2020 tax return if you hadn't yet received everything. Next thing to look at is did you pay any AMT, alternative minimum tax? And this would be on form 6251. If so, here's a few things that you could consider doing. Review strategies to reduce your AMT. This could be things like minimizing large capital gains, or it could be things like harvesting losses. So if you have losses in your investment account, can you sell some of those losses, purchase investments that are very similar but not the same, so that you can use those losses to offset some of your income. Also, if you did pay a significant amount of AMT in 2019, check your form 8801-8801 to see if you received a credit that could be applied for that next year. So just things to look at with AMT. Ideally, you can avoid that if possible. And those are a couple small things to look at as you look to 2021 and beyond. Now, if you and your spouse are age 65 or older, or if you or your spouse is blind, you actually qualify for a higher standard deduction. The first thing that I said at the beginning of this episode was the standard deduction for a single filer is 12400 The standard deduction for a married filing jointly filer is 24800 If you are both over 65, or really if one of you is over 65, you get a higher standard deduction. And that standard deduction is $1,300 higher. If both of you are 65 or older, then you get an additional $2,600 on your standard deduction. So if you are 65 or older, you're actually getting a higher standard deduction than you would if you were under 65. Now, next thing to look at is did you owe more taxes or did you receive a higher refund than you expected? So did you get more back or did you owe more than expected? If so, take a look at your return. See, was this the result of some unique circumstance? Maybe you sold a highly appreciated investment. Maybe you sold a property. Maybe something else happened that was a kind of a one-off thing. Or was everything fairly normal and you ended up paying more than expected or getting back more than expected? If that's the case, compare this year's tax return or compare 2020's tax return to 2019 and 2018 to see where that discrepancy came from. Once you see that, see if there's steps you can take to offset any extra tax payment that you had to do by lowering your income, or see if there's steps you can take to maybe make sure you're withholding the right amount throughout the year. And then last thing, when it comes to filing issues or just looking at your basic tax return, did you fail to withhold enough taxes? So, or did you underpay on the estimates? If so, review form 2210 and form 1040 line 38 to see the amount of the penalty. You want to make sure that if you're underpaying taxes or you're you're missing some of your estimated tax payments, you actually get penalized for that. Now, if it's just a minor amount, then maybe that's okay because it's allowing you to keep more cash on hand throughout the year. But if it's not a minor amount, if if that amount's starting to add up, make sure that you are withholding the right amounts throughout the year to avoid any potential penalties. Just a quick note or quick reminder as we go through this, I know there's a lot of forms. There's form 2210, there's form 1040, there's form 8801, form 6251. It's a lot. It's hard to keep track of. I can't even fully keep track of a lot of these forms. So just a reminder, on the Ready for Retirement webpage, there's going to be a cheat sheet for this and a checklist that walks through all this. So if you're listening and saying, oh, yeah, that that might apply to me. What was that form again? Don't worry about trying to rewind the episode and go back and find it. Just go to the Ready for Retirement webpage and on the show notes for today's episode, you'll be able to download all of this that I'm using as the, the basis for this episode. The next thing that we want to look at, once we've looked at the filing and just the basic family and filing issues, we now want to look at investment income issues. The first thing you want to do with that is just check to see, is there any interest being reported 
or are there any dividends being reported? Where you would find that is interest is going to show up on Form 1040, which is kind of the basic tax form that most people are familiar with, on lines 2A and 2B. That's going to show interest being reported. Dividends being reported, meaning that you're paying taxes on or reporting on, that's going to be on Form 1040, but on lines 3A and 3B. So if there are numbers there, then take a look at your Schedule B, because your Schedule B is going to show you which of your accounts are generating income. It's going to show you is there interest being paid, are there dividends being paid, and it's going to show you is that interest taxable or is it tax exempt. Are the dividends ordinary dividends or are they qualified dividends? This is important to know because that's going to determine how much, if anything, is taxable of that interest or of those dividends. So by looking at that, that will give you the ability to see are there ways to reduce not necessarily the income or the dividends, but the taxation of some of those income and dividends if needed. Next thing you want to look at is, is your modified adjusted gross income above $200,000 if you are single or $250,000 if you're married filing jointly? And on top of this, do you have significant net investment income, which would be calculated on form 8960? What net investment income is, is if your modified adjusted gross income is above those thresholds, 200K if you're filing single or 250K if it's married filing jointly, If that's the case, then any income that you have on capital gains, on interest, on rental properties, on distributions from mutual funds, that income is going to be subject to the net investment income tax, which is an additional 3.8% tax on top of federal, state, or any payroll taxes that you're paying. So if your income is above that threshold, it would probably be wise to check what income sources you have to see if there's ways of offsetting that or reducing the tax liability on that. Next thing to look at is, did you have any capital gains or losses? And these will be reported on Form 1040, Line 7. If so, so if you go to your Form 1040 and you look at Line 7, well then look at Schedule D, Line 13. That's going to show you your capital gain distributions. On Schedule D, Line 16 and 14, it will show you short-term and long-term loss carryovers, ensuring that they've been carried over from previous tax returns. What does that mean? Well, it means if you have a loss on an investment, let's say I buy a stock for 10000 it drops to 5000 well, I have a $5,000 loss, but I can only write off $3,000 of that loss against ordinary income. Now, I can write off that full loss against gain, so if I have a $5,000 gain somewhere else, then that loss and that gain offset each other, but if I want to offset my ordinary income, so my wages, I can only write off up to $3,000 of that. But if I do have $5,000 of losses, I could, for example, write off 3,000 of them this year, but then the other 2,000, those would carry forward to the following year. So this is showing you where you can find those losses, if any, and make sure that they're being applied towards future years. Next thing that you want to look at is not the investment piece anymore, but retirement plan issues. So did you begin or did you reach your required begin date in 2020 or before, or do you have an inherited IRA? If so, remember that the CARES Act in 2020, it waived all required minimum distributions. So last year, you were not required to take an RMD. So if you did not take a distribution from your retirement account, you're not subject to a penalty. So don't worry about that. But do keep in mind that there is going to be a required distribution this year. If you've reached your required begin date or if you have an inherited IRA. So just keep that in mind as you're looking at your tax liability this year, understand that you need to take a look at that and understand that the following year, so for 2021, there will probably be a required distribution on top of that. Now, 
are you at least age 70 and a half and did you complete a qualified charitable distribution? What's a qualified charitable distribution? Well, instead of taking money out of an IRA, paying taxes on it, and then gifting it to a charity, you can send up to $100,000 as the cap right from your IRA to a charity of your choice. If so, then what that does is it avoids you having to pay taxes on that money. It just goes right to the charity. But you do need to make sure that it's properly reflected. And that amount should be excluded on your form 1040 line 4B. So as the IRS is tracking what income came out and what just went right directly to a charity, it's going to be on your form 1040 line 4B. Next thing to look at, did you ever make a non-deductible IRA contribution? This is very common in backdoor Roth conversions. So when you do a backdoor Roth conversion or backdoor Roth contribution, you're making a contribution to a non-deductible IRA and you're then converting it. If you did this, you do need to make sure that you file form 8606. That's the form that says the IRA contribution you made is non-deductible. And if you did that, make sure that the cost basis is being tracked properly. You do need to make sure that you're tracking how much total you put into a non-deductible IRA so that when you convert it or when you take a distribution from it, you're not double paying on those taxes. You're understanding how much of that conversion or how much of that distribution was tax-free. Next thing is, did you withdraw any money from an IRA that holds after-tax contributions? So again, this is why you track how much of your non-deductible IRA contributions you have. If so, check Form 8606 to ensure that the taxable and non-taxable portion of the distribution was calculated correctly. So if you have an IRA and part of it's non-deductible, well, when you pull money out of your IRA, you can't just tell the IRS if you're going to pull out pre-tax or if you're going to pull out non-deductible contributions. It's going to be treated pro rata. So form 8606 is going to be where you can track that to ensure you're tracking how much is taxable and how much is non-taxable. Did you convert amounts from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA? Again, if so, check form 8606 to ensure that the amount converted is reported and that any non-deductible IRA contributions that were converted are treated as non-taxable. Next, did you roll over retirement funds during the tax year from one account to another? common example of this is did you move money from a 401k to an IRA? If so, and this should be done for you, but it all never hurts a check, ensure that that distribution or ensure that that rollover was treated as a rollover and not a distribution by verifying that your form 1040 line 4a shows the amount of the distribution, but then form 1040 line 4b shows zero indicating no distribution, no taxable distribution occurred. So that's where you should see the amount of the rollover in line 4A, but in line 4B, you should see zero showing that none of that rollover was a distribution. Now, if you did take a distribution from somewhere else during the year, that that amount would be reflected in line 4B, but just make sure that those amounts line up. Last thing on the retirement plan side, and not many people do this, but did you roll over your retirement funds and utilize NUA, which stands for net unrealized appreciation? If you did, review your IRA distributions on Form 1040, so that's line 4A and 4B, and make sure that the basis was taxed. Make sure that it was reflected properly. If you don't know what NUA is or net unrealized appreciation is, then it probably doesn't apply to you, and don't worry about it. But if so, just make sure that you're reviewing those lines to make sure everything was handled correctly. Now, some last kind of catch-all issues. One, did you take any non-qualified distributions from a 529 plan? So did you have a 529 plan for a child or a grandchild? If so, and the, the distribution was non-qualified, file form 5329 to calculate the penalty. 
penalty is going to carry over to schedule two on line six and that will help you to determine how much of a penalty you owe or how much is taxable from that non-qualified distribution next did you have any large medical expenses if so schedule a line one that's where your medical expenses are going to be listed as well as the deduction limit so just a reminder when you have medical expenses you cannot deduct all of them you can only deduct them if your medical expenses were in excess of a certain percentage of your income. So for example, any medical expenses in excess of 7.5% of your just gross income, those could be deductible, depending on your age and a few other factors. So review Schedule A Line 1 to determine your medical expenses and your deduction limit, and make sure that when calculating your medical expenses, be sure to count Medicare premiums and long-term care premiums. Those count as medical expenses when you're determining if you're able to deduct the medical expenses that you do have. Next, just see if there's any state-specific issues that should be considered. So, for example, many states are going to offer tax benefits to retirees, such as not taxing Social Security and or pensions. California does not tax Social Security. Make sure that's being reflected. This should be something that your tax preparer or that you or your tax prep software is just doing automatically. But if you're just reviewing your tax return or just want to see how it all works, make sure that that's not being taxed on the state side if your state offers tax benefits like that. And then finally, do you own any rental real estate? If so, make sure that you review your Schedule E, which is where that rental real estate is going to be listed, to see what expenses you deducted on the rental property. So if you have a mortgage on that rental property, this is where that mortgage and the mortgage interest and things like that would be listed, not on your Schedule A, which is your itemized returns. Review Schedule E. See what depreciation you have. See what expenses you're writing off. Make sure there's no expenses that you did have on the rental property that aren't being factored in there so that you can make sure that you're not paying any more in taxes on that than you need to. So today's episode was more detailed. It was more of a flyby looking at all the different tax issues that you might look at when reviewing your 2020 tax return. Ideally, if you're looking at this, you have a CPA going over this for you. You maybe have a financial advisor going over this for you, but these are always good things to know. So one more time, just a reminder, I'm going to have this document on the Ready for Retirement webpage. Go to readyforretirement.co, readyforretirement.co, find today's episode, and this checklist is going to be there. Next up, next week, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at, as we do the, the tune-up, the financial tune-up, what things, what important issues should be looking at with your investments to make sure that your investments are allocated as they could be or as they should be. So that's next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.